0: I'm Dr. Bo Beard, and we're back for episode number 19 of The Dr. Bo Show. The title of today's show, Looking in the COVID Mirror. So, first of all, I want to say I am not addressing uh, the disease itself, and I'll, I'll explain that a little more, the vaccine or general advice about either. I do want to address an outside, pun intended, you'll get it later, uh, Perspective that may be correlated to the current scenario we find ourselves in and possibly remedies to the scenario. So, a very common uh, thing that's been written about and talked about is the great pause, right? This, I even talked about this on an earlier podcast during when our office was shut down. That, uh, you know, we've had time to reflect and maybe hopefully learn some things. I don't know if we actually have. Uh, I was actually talking to the head of infectious disease for UAB and uh, we both had a chuckle that this has been a bit of a litmus test for just common sense in humans. Uh, but the great pause is basically all of our lives got shut down as we know it, and out of that time to reflect, we you know, have been forced to look at things a bit differently. Uh, my frustration is that even though things that to me seem very apparent, very in-your-face, very logical... Uh, as far as it pertains to our health and maybe how we should go about business from this point forward, maybe not so common sense to other people. So I I don't even know why I did, but uh, this sounds super egotistical, but I rewatched uh, my TEDx talk uh, the other day and that was uh, titled Environmental Reflection. And I'm actually glad I rewatched it because I was like, this is very apropos for what's going on right now. In that talk, I... Basically told a story about myself, about littering in Alaska, and how I, you know, literally and proverbially, proverbially, wow, that was a challenge. Looked in the mirror and said, you know, what, what am I doing with uh, my own health? And then how is my health affecting the environment overall? And then how is the environment overall affecting everybody's other health, everybody else's health? And you can see the circular pattern. Um, it's a circle, uh, you know. So this stuff, uh, it weighs on me. This is what keeps me up at night. Specifically in that TEDx talk, I talk about the great global syndemic. Now, this wasn't my idea. This is published uh, literature in The Lancet, actually. Uh, And the three things, the the three criteria that were selected for the syndemic, uh, which are their own epidemics, uh, right? And then we pair them together for the syndemic, just like a syndrome, were obesity, climate change, and undernutrition. Now, what's interesting is that we have... Two things that pertain to human health, and one thing that pertains to environmental health. The two things about human health couldn't be f- seemingly couldn't be further opposites from one another: uh, obesity and undernutrition. But the funny thing is, a lot of people—and I don't have a stat on this as much as I look, because it's probably a hard stat to nail down—a lot of people that are obese are still um, in a state of undernutrition. So how's that possible? You say, well, you know, they're obviously in a caloric. Uh, Surplus, Yeah, but those calories are very void or devoid of nutrients, in particular micronutrients. Uh, And then you have the entire flip side of the coin of people that are actually dying of starvation, which is a staggering number when you look at it. Millions, uh, maybe not millions, hundreds of thousands a day are dying from starvation still. Not so much in America, but there's still a very large number in America. And we either are very unaware or turn a blind eye. And just like when we're treating patients in the practice, I always say that you know, my, probably the biggest job that I play or the biggest role that I play with the patient is actually making them more aware of said scenario, right? The things that they don't do well, the things that they need to do better, um, you know, things that they've been told in the past that aren't just quite true, whatever it is. So here are some stats uh, that I did not talk about uh, in my talk that I think are need to be brought to the surface during this great pause. Uh, first one is 42.4% of Americans are obese. That is a large number. Now, if you put uh, uh, asterisks and just said overweight, not obese, because we're going off BMI, it goes up to 75%. Uh, 10.5% of the U.S. population is, uh, has diabetes. or been diagnosed with diabetes at least. There's probably a lot more pre-diabetes and a lot more in general metabolic syndrome than that. 20.4% of the population is dealing with some sort of chronic pain. I would actually think that's a lot higher because I'm guessing the statistics off this are a, an epidemiological study, but also people that have been treated in the standard medical model for chronic pain, which yeah, whole different uh you know, ball of yarn there. Uh 25% of the American population is dealing with some sort of anxiety and depression. That stat is from people that are medicated. So those are people that are on a prescription for anxiety or depression. And then at least 70% of the US population is on at least one prescription. That's at least 70% of the US population is on one prescription. I don't know what they're for, but one prescriptive drug. And then here's where we I start thinking about, well, maybe we need to think about this different. That if we talk about the US population, we break it down, you're gonna see the largest subset of the US population is actually my generation, kind of that generation X split over millennials, maybe they call it generation Y. Uh, The next largest subset of the population are baby boomers. And if we broke this down, which again, this would be hard to get the statistical analysis of what the representation of all of these maladies, obesity, diabetes, chronic pain, anxiety, depression, prescription use are out of the baby boomers. I would guess this is just a summation that it's pretty high. And then what are we seeing with something like COVID, which is, again, uh, I'm going to say it's a paraphrase from the head of infectious disease at UAB that covid's a fairly boring disease. What's interesting about it is that it's a coronavirus which usually is going to affect uh respiratory tissue or the lungs in particular and this one obviously does not and then all of the secondary effects that are occurring that are unexpected and also vary across subsets of the population. But when you think about the second largest subset of the population is a fairly healthy uh, unhealthy subset of the population and what do we know about coronavirus that it's going to take a larger toll so all i'm saying is realize that the environment that has been fostered around the u.s populace for the past few decades set us up for uh you know if you're in karate kid to get our, our get our legs swept that we we tumbled like uh you know uh big tree fall hard uh you know, I don't think it's necessarily, and again, my opinion, that this disease is just so atrocious. I think it's that we were perfectly set up for this perfect storm. It doesn't make the, the you know, catastrophic uh, amounts of deaths and people that are ill any different. But you start to think about how environment dictates outcomes rather than the thing, the variable, right? This kind of victim mentality. Uh, something else that, uh, I wanted to bring into this was, uh, article written in the Globe and Mail by Jane, Dr. James, uh, Maskalik, And I hope I'm saying that right. I'm actually going to try to get him on the podcast. Uh, but very interesting article. Uh, I'm just going to pull some quotes out of there because I, I mean, he, uh, is a, an emergency uh, medical physician. He's spent a lot of time in third world countries. He's written a couple books about this. Uh, and then has a unique practice, which I'm not going to speak to because I haven't talked to him specifically, uh, but it seems to draw a lot of non standard allopathic care into his model. So here's a quote, a couple quotes from him. So, a lack of healthy natural habitat weakens the immune systems of animals, and the resulting sickness passes rapid, rapidly through them. Birds, prairie dogs, pigs, bats, with each infection, a chance for a virus to mutate into one that can sicken humans and sometimes global livelihoods. As such, a vaccine alone, no matter how effective, will not tip the balance toward health because COVID 19 is not a disease. It is a symptom of an exhausted planet. The renewal of a healthy relationship to our one shared mother, planet Earth, is the cure. Gets a little bit crunchy at the end, but you know, you get the point. He's saying the same thing that I'm saying here, right? And you know, obviously I'm biased, so that's why I picked this article. But I think, you know, I don't think it's like we go sing kumbaya around a fire and burn sage and you know, uh, be aware of our surroundings and all of a sudden, you know, we're immune to a disease. What he's saying is, it's been a proven effect, uh, on the immune system to, uh, whiskey, by the way. Uh, he's just saying that we're losing touch with the things that do help us foster an environment to create health, right? Being under unnatural light with, uh, stale air and houses that don't have great ventilation with, uh, food sources that are, deplete of nutrients uh working jobs that stress us out with too little movement and exercise with relationships that aren't great not a great environment right to foster health so if you had a a prized i just watched another movie uh it's terrible movie. i don't know why i'm bringing this up i don't even know the name of it but somewhere in the movie a man had smuggled grapes yes he's a grape smuggler I, i understand the connotation behind that smuggled grapes from France in the 1800s in a suitcase planted them in California and was one of the first people to create California wine country via these sought after French grapes. But if you had these French grapes and they were in a terrible soil base, you wouldn't be working on the grapes. You'd be working on the soil, the environment, the water, the air quality around those. That's all we're talking about here. Another quote from Dr. Mascalix article. Hope I'm saying that right. If the earth is alive as both climate scientists and indigenous people say and like a body kept well by diversity of cells deeply connected then the medical diagnosis that fits most neatly our modern sickness is not an infection but a malignancy and i'm gonna keep going here we can learn from the line of inquiry of some traditional healers who instead of asking their patients first about their pain start with a more direct question who are you so i jumped ahead because i'm going to tap on the malignancy part a little bit later but man, did this ever ring true? I'm going to read that uh, last statement again. When, when, We can learn from the line of inquiry of some traditional healers who instead of asking their patients first about their pain, start with a more direct question. Who are you? Um, I'm a chiropractor by trade. I'm in the field that deals with a lot of these chronic pain patients that are dealing with a bunch of these other maladies as well. But this little piece of interviewing advice is huge. But what he's also saying goes beyond just patient care of you know, who are you as like a human? Like, how do you interact with this uh, earth, right? This environment rather than I'm a banker, right? I sit at my desk and do banker things. I'm a, it doesn't matter. You could have a job in health, seemingly healthy profession, right? I am a, I'm a personal trainer that does not by default make you healthy. You could be a very unhealthy person that is spouting information to people about health just based on your environment, right? So getting into this analogy per se about malignancy and how that, you know, ties in the pandemic that we're dealing with right now, and then maybe some climate and environmental issues we're dealing with uh, really rings true with with me. And I'll kind of talk about what I'm going to try to get a little more into here at the end, but let's look at a different article And again, I'm going to have links to these in the show notes. So if you go to ChiroPharm.com backslash episode 19, you're going to find those. So this article was titled, How Evolution Helps Us Understand Cancer and Control It. This is out of Scientific American by Athena Actipis. Man, these names are really giving me a run for my money today. Uh, First quote out of this article, cancer cells break the rules of normal cells. They divide when they should not, do not die when they should rob of their cells of essential supplies, shirk their cellular jobs, and pollute the extracellular space. Now, without getting too critical of any one socioeconomic class or getting political or anything like that, please don't think that's what's happening. But you could very easily see how we could put in, instead of cancer, maybe somebody that we're saying is you know living off of uh, whatever you want to call it, the government tit, right? We're they're living off disability. They're collecting a, a welfare check and they're not providing back to the economy. Now, there are scenarios where those social programs are absolutely critical to that person. There are definitely people that are taking advantage of those programs. Now, how does that apply to this? We're using the analogy of, you know, let's say I'm shirking responsibility, not so much in a social aspect, but in a personal aspect. I'm shirking the responsibility of keeping myself healthy, right? Of keeping my personal and um, I would say meso, my my personal environment, and then my macro, my my global, my uh, ecosystem environment intact. That's a responsibility as a human. When you do that, you directly affect other people, right? If you're not healthy, and then you become a parent, guess what? Much less likely that your kids are going to be healthy. So there's always a trickle down effect, and you know it goes back and forth. Next quote. In addition to things such as excess proliferation, invasion of other tissues is one of the hallmarks of cancer. And an evolutionary approach suggests that invasion might be a consequence of cellular cheating. When cancer cells overuse overuse resources in their local environments, producing enzymes that digest nearby tissue, for instance, the process often destroys their normal cellular surroundings. We know from ecology that organisms that deplete resources in their environments are under great pressure to evolve the ability to move via dispersal evolution let's dig into this one a little bit this deserves a little sip of bourbon and if you're super picky i realize that i just said whiskey early and bourbon i get it i get it Um, we'll have that podcast later when i get an expert on that uh, which maybe i'll do um so let's just think about covid right we talked about the environment set us up for uh sweep the leg right Danielson? we got you know we're on our ass right now and i, I think what everybody would agree with that and we can see how different nations are having had been affected differently and part of that is you know government and uh bureaucratic decision making i you know i get that but overall we were set up for a fall second let's talk about the environment as it pertains to this analogy of dispersal evolution you know we can see that I mean, I brought this up in my TEDx talk that we lose 1% of our forest every year to suburbanization. Well, we can see how, you know, we're the, the cancer there, that we're constantly needing more resources, right? We need more land, we need more fuel, we need more wood, water, whatever it is, soil. Well, then we disperse other creatures, right? Other organisms, which then by default has to have to go under their own process of dispersal evolution. just like if you introduce like where I'm from in Illinois, the Asian carp got introduced to waterways actually decades earlier and then they really just boomed um, late 2000s and now you know they're just completely invasive knocking other species out. that's a cancer right That's a malignant cancer that's going to dominate the resources available that then disperse other organisms that then have to some sometimes, create that process again so it's almost as if you had lung cancer it's not a metastasis of that you get another cancer right because you deplete the resources of something to act like the organism or the organ that it is and then you know this has a whole we could go a million ways with this all i'm saying is there are the unlucky few that have a genetic and then epigenetic profile that lends them to cancer but by and large, it is a, a grouping of those genetic, epigenetic uh, predilections with a huge environmental factor that then allows all of that to come to the surface, whether that's you know multitude of variables there, but just think environment overall, environment dictated by stress, relationships, nutrition, sleep, diet, exercise. I think I said nutrition and diet, same thing. So again, just think environment dictates outcomes. And then last quote from this article by Actippus. Our conclusion suggests that overuse of resources by cancer cells may be one of the pressures that drives cancer metastasizer spread. Just like we were saying, even before invasion of other tissues happens, degradation of resources may push cancer cells to evolve the ability to move inside tumors. Are you hearing this? So degradation of resources may push cancer cells to evolve the ability to move inside tumors. So present tumors may be invaded by other types of cancer cells due to the lack of resources so they start attacking actually something that is a has a fairly low energy profile right cancer is this uh heavy heavy appetite for energy and it's constantly consuming that's why if we do something like a PET scan we're looking for the inner the basically the glucose uptake around um malignancies and again analogies are wide open on this one so in conclusion on a lot of the stuff, you know, this could go a million ways. This may get lit up, but again, I'm not giving advice on what I think the disease is, what I think we should do necessarily, or, you know, um, anything about the vaccine whatsoever. What I'm saying is I see every day that I deal with people in pain that aren't, you know, particularly healthy. And that rarely has anything to do with what they think it has to do with So somebody comes in with back pain and they're like, man, I mean, I had a case today. Hey, I picked up my granddaughter yesterday. Um, I felt a twinge in my back and boom, you know, I took some muscle relaxers, woke up this morning. It's better. What do you think is going on? Well, I don't think that picking up your granddaughter is a, uh, you know, a demonized movement that we should never do. What I think is your environment over time. And let's say, again, I'm going to explain this. So your micro environment, um, if we're thinking like cycles, so a micro environment would be your internal environment. Your meso environment is like, you know, my house, my office, the things that I surround myself with constantly day in, day out. My macro environment is my environment at large, right? It's really everything. But I mean, that could be a little more, you know, like for me, maybe it's Birmingham, right? The air quality, water quality, all those things around Birmingham. And then, you know, outside of the macro, maybe we have this exo macro uh, environment of the world, the planet. So if we have all those things, then, you know, it, you can very easily see how somebody's meso and macro environment sets their micro environment, their internal environment up for a fail, right? And we don't see it like that. We just think, yeah, yeah, I know I'm on a statin, I know I'm overweight, I know, you know, X, Y, Z. And then, but what about this back pain? It's not separate, it's not a different thing. It's all connected. Um, and again, like the environmental reflection, the the title of this podcast being looking into the COVID mirror. Um, I'm just using COVID because that's the thing that people are the most worried about. But if you looked in the mirror and said, you know, and m- multiple people have talked about this. I'm not the first one by far that, you know, maybe the best option is that you're actually healthy, you know, and if you're not healthy, hey, we're thinking of other things to help you along your way. You know, vaccines, precautionary measures, medications, treatment. But guess what? I guarantee you, nobody wants cancer, right? Even though cancer research is being done all the time, nobody wants to get it. Rarely do people take into account family history, genetic and epigenetic prevalence of certain types of cancer. It's getting more popular with genetic testing, but then say, ooh, man, there's a lot of things that I could do to make myself as healthy as possible to ward off these things. Usually, what do we do we do? We're reactive. We get the cancer, we think, oh my God, I got cancer. Now I'm going to treat the cancer. Sometimes post-cancer, we change our lives tremendously, right? We're much more healthy. I'm going to use, uh, somebody in my family had prostate cancer uh, during their treatment, which they did, um, you know, a, a bunch of different treatments. They didn't do chemo, but they did, you know, radioisotope treatment and, uh, you know, different medications and a surgery Lost a ton of weight, went on a bunch of, you know, basically went on a vegan diet. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, just that's what they did. Lost a ton of weight, did a ton of supplementing or supplementation. uh, Not a lot of exercise. There's a lot of other, you know, uh, stuff left on the table that they could have worked on. Slowly, you know, after the the bell gets rung of, you know, you're in remission, we see all the things come back, and it's just extremely interesting that, you know, if We said, if we put somebody in an environment, let's say that that person had suicidal thoughts or had an attempted suicide, right? Let's say that somebody, you know, was in an abusive relationship and they're like, I have to get out of it. And the only option I can see is this, this exit of life. We would say, man, you have to change that relationship. You have to change your environment. Yet... When we're being killed by something that's probably, and I hate to say this because a lot of people are gonna make, like, what are you, this is just terrible, that's brought on by our own vices, right? That the things that we do day in and day out set us up for this thing. And again, some people have a heavier genetic component to these things, but then there's a major epigenetic component and there's a major environmental component that we don't treat it the same way. And I just think it's crazy that like a lot of these things are within our control. And yeah, we don't have the information readily at our fingertips, but. You know that's why I do the show. I'm not the smartest person in the world by a long shot. Uh, like in any realm, even the realm that I, you know, specifically work in, I'm not by far the world expert. Um, but I hope I'm a voice that makes people allows people to think different. That's all I'm asking. Is you know, uh, just like Einstein's, you know, I'm in a butcher's quote, but you can't solve a problem thinking on the same frequency that got the problem there in the first place, right? You you have to think different. So in conclusion, on all this. Uh, I would just say that we're you know we're starting to realize our importance as humans within our ecosystem as well as the environment of our own health right there is only one way to reconcile this importance that is to look into your proverbial mirror in determining our environmental reflection right like what do i see you know immediate what's my micro environment like how do i feel what do i actually have going on what's my meso environment like you know what do i do all day What's my house like? What's my office like? What are my relationships like? What's my diet like? What's my sleep like? That's your meso environment. You know, the macro is much more ethereal. It's hard to tap on that. It's hard to, you know, muster up mojo to get people to change the world. But this was the goal of my TEDx talk that I think if you, you know, as cheesy as it sounds, that if you worked on you and were the best version of you, that via that, you're going to have that positive trickle-down effect, you know, your family, your friends, but also you're not a cancer, you're not a burden on everybody else, you know, whether that's, you know, financially from the healthcare system, from the healthcare system in general, um, your family, uh, just, and just think about this, and I know this seems like harsh terminology, but just think of cancer as that, that energy grabber, that resource grabber, that you're the the person that needs the most resources because you haven't allowed yourself to develop, you know, a robust, healthy human being. Um, and as crass as that may seem, I just think that's the truth that like you have to take some ownness and realize that, you know, a lot of what we're dealing with in my, this is totally my opinion. Now a lot of what we're dealing with is just not ownness. that like we you know we expect others to do all the things that to protect us you know i'm not saying that wearing a mask is wrong but if you think that other people wearing a mask is going to protect you from a disease when you're an extremely unhealthy i think you're just you know it's like it's like playing russian roulette it's like saying i know there's one bullet missing i'm willing to take the chance because everybody else is wearing their masks and i, I got that one bullet but you know, so be it about the fact that I may be obese and I'm on medications. I got all these other comorbidities, and you know, family history of X, Y, Z, and you know, I take asthma medication, and you know, yeah, pretty bad disease. But as long as everybody wears masks, I think I'm okay. Really? You don't want to work on those other things, not just for this disease, but for your own health and for that own trickle down effect and for that own environmental reflection that could help everybody else. Maybe that's too pie in the sky. And uh, again, people can tear this down all they want, but that's my feelings on it. Obviously these feelings are shared, um, such as these articles, uh, talk about, uh, and there's a lot of articles, you know, that are going to go further down this rabbit hole that I think go too far that, you know, it's, it's not something that we can remedy right now, but what we can do is say, you know, the environment that we were in when this all started absolutely needs a change and i don't know what the best action step is but i can tell you what the easiest action step is is that you personally change rather than thinking that we need systemic change because systemic change is not plausible without personal change you can put a bunch of cogs into a system that's perfect that are imperfect and it will break that system very fast And let me know if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, and I'll see you guys next time.